Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen Zerby kicked off our new Advent series called Noel. In this first week, our theme is hope. But as Jen pointed out, hoping for something is a lot different than hoping in something or hoping in someone. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Peace and love. I get so caught up on the song, I forgot I had to preach. <laughs> I love Christmas. I love Advent. I love this season. I just get lost in it. You know, I get asked on a, on a fairly regular basis how I come up with, um, with different sermon series, and so I thought, what, what a better time to include you in on the process than this season. So, so buckle up for just a second, because you're going to take a ride in this crazy brain of mine here. Now, I know this will come as no surprise to any of you who have known me for any length of time, but I really love words. I have loved words for as long as I can remember. I started reading at a, a very early age, and I used to love to choose books that were kind of just beyond my reading level. And then I would keep a notebook. This is so nerdy. (laughs) I'd keep a notebook next to me, and I would write down all the words that I had never seen before. And then I would look those words up so that I would learn them. I never really, I never claimed to be cool. (laughs) Right? It's fine. I also learned, uh, I I learned that I loved to write from a very early age. I, I wrote my first book when I was eight years old. It was a really powerful story uh, about a koala bear in a zoo that was obviously dedicated to my mom. (laughs) I have it in my office if you want to read it. My second book I wrote when I was 10, and it was a book about my friend Sarah and I traveling through time. I really love the fact that, that there's this kind of, it's seemingly limitless bank of words from which to draw where you can just pick different words each time and string together these beautiful sentences or stories or poems or letters. I I took Latin once because I thought it would be fun to learn the root of the words that we use today. It was was not fun. (laughs) It was not fun at all. Maybe it would have been fun if I had stuck with it longer than one semester, but that one semester was so boring that I'm surprised I still read and write after, after that semester at all. But the point is that I love words. I'm one of those people who really pays attention to the words that I hear, to the words that I say. Not always. I wish I was more careful, but I try to be careful with the words that I speak. I'm one of those people who really pays attention to the words that I listen to. And so when I'm listening to music, I really try to pay attention to the lyrics and, and then, you know, you kind of never really know where inspiration is going to strike. And so earlier this fall, I was listening to a song by a band called Mercy Me, and the song was called Best News Ever. Now, that song is not typically a tune that I would particularly lean towards. I really like, Joel knows this, I really like just like super melancholy, very chill kind of music. But I happen to think that Bart Millard, who's the, he's the lead singer of that band, I really think he's an incredible lyricist. And so I really like a lot of the songs that they write. So I was listening to them on, on shuffle, and, um, and this song came on. It's called Best News Ever. And it's referring to what we in the church call the good news. Now, the good news is what we call the story of Jesus. Why do we call it the good news? 
Well, because in a Charlie Brown Christmas, an angel came and said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. And in case you weren't sure, that came from the Bible. (laughs) You just maybe hear it in a peanut's voice, but that's okay. It comes from Luke chapter 2. Luke is one of the four Gospels, and the Gospels are the books of the Bible that tell the whole entire story of Jesus, tells the story of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And do you know what the word gospel means in both Latin and Greek? Good news. See? Words are so cool. So there I was listening to Best News Ever, thinking about how true that is, this whole thing about Jesus. It's, it's definitely good news in a world that is often, maybe usually, filled with bad news. But it's more than good news. It really is the best news ever. And I got to thinking, well, I'd be a really good Advent theme for this year. But then my mind started going, and I started thinking about the title and the logo and what that would look like. And then best news ever just seemed a little too colloquial. So luckily for me, not long after that, the song Noel by Lauren Daigle came on, and I love that song also. The chorus of that song says Noel, and then the, the line after that says, come and see what God has done. Now, I already told you that I took Latin, but I also took Spanish, and I took Hebrew, and I took Greek, but what I did not take was French. So I began to wonder, what does Noel actually mean? Because I really didn't know. And it turns out that it has two meanings. Maybe you already know this. The first meaning is Christmas. The second meaning to Noel is good news. And so here we are with our theme, Noel. The classier way of saying best news ever. Welcome to Advent at Hillcrest Covenant Church. For those of you who are new here or new to church altogether, it might also be helpful. I know that Pastor Bill maybe mentioned this already, but just to quickly talk about what Advent is, what it means. Advent is this four-week-long season in the church where we are waiting, where we are preparing for the arrival of Jesus. As, as Pastor Bill mentioned, Advent literally means coming, and it celebrates the coming of Jesus to earth. Now, in reality, this is kind of a strange time for those of us who who believe in Jesus already, because we kind of stand in this, in this in-between, in this first coming and in this second coming. We spend the, the next four weeks waiting and preparing for the birth of Jesus, which has already happened, but we also know that we continue to wait and to prepare because we know and believe that Jesus will return again. And so Advent is the season of, of almost and not yet. It is meant to be a spiritually significant season where we are called not just to wait, but to wait in a really particular kind of way. It's a season that calls forth patience and preparation while we wait. Advent calls forth an active kind of waiting. We don't just sit around and wait. There are ways in which we are called to participate in this season. And there are attributes that go along with this kind of waiting. And the first one of those attributes that we're going to talk about this morning is hope. Hope is a word that is used so often, right? It's used so often in our everyday life. Supposed to be nice out tomorrow. I sure hope so. I hope I get an A on that paper. 
I hope there isn't a line at the coffee shop. I hope my spouse remembered to pick up the milk. I hope that package gets to their house on time. I hope my boss is in a good mood. I hope it doesn't snow. I hope it does snow. I hope the bears will win, ever. <laughs> All right? Sorry, Tim. We hope for things all day long. We hope for simple, innocent, sometimes even meaningless things throughout our day. We hope for things to happen that will make our life a little easier. When we're lonely, we hope for people to be surrounded by, and when we're sick of people, we hope that our plans will get canceled. Our life is filled with those little kinds of hope. And our life is filled with those kinds of hope that constantly pull us into tomorrow. I hope that I get good grades so that I can get into college. And I hope that I can graduate college so that I can get a good job someday. I hope that I can get married so that I could have kids someday. These hopes that always draw us into the next season, the season that we're not quite in yet, but that we hope or wish to be in someday. And then our lives are also filled with some pretty significant other kinds of hopes too, aren't they? I hope that biopsy turns out to be benign. I hope my kids grow into good, successful people. I hope that job comes through so that I can pay the bills. I hope this time in rehab is the one that sticks. I hope he doesn't leave me. I hope she will forgive me. I hope he doesn't die. These are the life, the life-changing hopes that usually turn into our prayers. I heard a story this last week about a man named Brian who was struggling with addiction and who made some terrible choices in the midst of his addiction. And those choices broke his family apart. His wife divorced him and his young adult daughter stopped speaking to him. Thankfully, he got the help that he needed and he was a few months sober when he joined a church in his community. And it was kind of one of those big churches, one of those churches that's so big the pastor doesn't know everybody. And so one day, Brian was sitting in a coffee shop, and the pastor walked in, and, and Brian went over to the pastor and said, hey, I, I know you don't know me, but I go to your church, and your church has changed my life. And so the pastor sat down with Brian, and he proceeded to tell the pastor about all the terrible choices that he had made, about how badly he messed up his life, about how badly he messed up the life of his family. And he told them how, how his church introduced him to Jesus and how grateful he is to have, have been forgiven, and how astounded he is by the grace of God in his life. And then as he kept telling a little bit of his story and his experience at that church, he made this little side comment that seemed pretty odd to the pastor about how, how he thinks that the guest services team at the church hates him. That'd be like our Sunday services team. The pastor thought that was a little bit of a strange thing to say. And so he, he asked him, well, why, why would you say that? And Brian said, well, because I save a seat next to me every single Sunday, and no matter how full the room gets, I'm never willing to give up that extra seat. Even when the guest services team tells me to scoot down, I, I will never do it. And he goes on to say, after my daughter stopped speaking to me, I tried at least to send her letters every single week so that she knew that I was never going to give up on her. And so she knew that I was never going to give up on fighting for our relationship and trying to do anything I can to fix it. She never returned any of my letters except once where she asked me to stop sending letters to her. And so I did, he said. But in my very last letter, 
I drew her a map with the seating chart of the church. And I circled the seat that I was going to save for her in case she ever showed up. And I told her that every Sunday until the end of time, I will be sitting in that seat waiting for her to show up next to me. Now that's, that's hope, right? That's, that's some kind of hope. And that's the kind of hope that I think that some of you know of. Some of you have been holding out hope, that same kind of hope for a broken relationship in your own life. Others of you know that hope through a diagnosis or an illness. Some of you know that hope because you're dealing with addiction yourself or you love someone who is. Some of you know that hope because you're waiting for a family that you've always dreamed of. This is a powerful, powerful kind of hope. Many of you remember Christopher Reeve. He was the actor who played Superman for quite a long time. And he was in a horseback riding accident that left him paralyzed from the chest down. And he was quoted as saying, once you choose hope, anything's possible. And I read that thinking about his particular situation. I thought, gosh, that's so powerful. Once you choose hope, anything's possible. Right? That seems so true. And hope really is so, so powerful. But I also know, because I know some of your stories, I know that there are people in this room this morning who have hoped for something that never came to be. And so you have a really complicated relationship with hope. You hoped for a marriage to last and it crumbled, or you hoped for an illness that wouldn't result in death, and yet you had one less seat at your table this year. You hoped and you hoped and you hoped until the bitter end and that thing that you hoped against happened anyway. And so what's the point of hoping? But this is why it's so important that we differentiate this morning between what it means to hope for something and what it means to hope in something. The word hope is mentioned in the Bible somewhere around 130 times. And the hope that the Bible talks about is the hope that I want us to focus the remainder of our time on this morning. Some of you know that Paul was one of the most prolific contributors to the entire New Testament. Most of what Paul wrote were actually letters to churches that he had visited. And so he was trying to write letters that would encourage them or, or kind of keep them on track. The book of Romans is, is often known kind of as Paul's crowning jewel. The book of Romans is where Paul lays out his entire theology, the entire thing of what he believes, the entire theology of the church. And his, his last two chapters in the book of Romans really do read like kind of the end of a letter. You can tell that Paul is starting to wrap things up there. And so we're going to look at something that Paul wrote in chapter 15 of the book of Romans, looking at specifically first at verse 4, Romans 15, 4. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, Paul has already quoted the Old Testament countless times in his letters prior to this particular passage. And so this one maybe doesn't, it's not really as random as it might seem when we just pulled out of context the way that I just did and tell you never to do. It's really not as random. Paul quotes the Old Testament often throughout his text. But in this particular verse, in, in verse 4 there, Paul is trying to remind us, he's trying to remind the church that there is a reason that this stuff is included in Scripture, that Scripture teaches us 
endurance, and faith. And that scripture is meant to encourage our faith today. That ultimately scripture is meant to foster hope within us. And then Paul continues on in verse 12 and says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul again is quoting the Old Testament here when he says the root of Jesse will spring up. For those of you who don't know what that means, that's a really confusing thing to say. Who is Jesse and what does the root mean? This is just another way that Paul is talking about a particular family tree. It's a pretty important family tree. Jesse was the son of Ohed. That doesn't mean anything to most people. He was also the grandson, however, to Boaz and Ruth. That might be a story that some of you are familiar with. Jesse grew up as a, as a farmer and a sheep breeder, and he had eight sons, the youngest of whom was David, as in King David who is known as the greatest king that Israel ever had. And so the Old Testament told us that the Savior of the world was going to come from the family tree or the line of Jesse. And sure enough, Paul is reminding us here in the book of Romans that that is exactly what happened. The root of Jesse, the family tree of Jesse, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. And then it says, in him... The Gentiles will hope. Remember that. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And then Paul just prays this beautiful prayer over the church. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you so that you would overflow with hope. Which tells us just in this one sentence that God is both the source of our hope, and the supplier of our hope. Paul is praying here that the one who authored and created hope would now supply you with it in such overwhelming qualities that it would make a mess, that hope would overflow, hope everywhere. He doesn't just wish you enough hope to eke your way through another day. He is praying lavish, abundant amounts of hope upon each of us. Think about that for a second. Right? Think about when you're pouring a drink and you're not paying attention and it just overflows and it goes onto the counter and it falls off the counter and it goes down the side of your dishwasher. It makes a mess, right? This is what Paul's talking about, but with hope instead. Typically, we obviously don't love when things overflow, but the idea of having so much hope that it just overflows and gets on everything and gets on everybody around you, That's the kind of hope that God desires for us to have. And it's the kind of hope that God supplies us with. But it's not the kind of hope that comes when we hope for something. It's the kind of hope that comes when we hope in someone. Hoping for the good grades or the new job or the perfect family, that's all fine and good. You don't need to stop hoping for those things. Hope is really powerful in all of its forms. So keep hoping. I just want you to understand the difference. You see, the world doesn't really have the greatest track record when it comes to delivering things that we hope for. Most of us have been pretty brutally let down by the things or people in this world. We've hoped for something, and maybe it happened once, or maybe it happened for a minute, or maybe it didn't happen at all. 
But when our hope is in Jesus, we know that his track record is perfect. We know that God has delivered on every promise that God has ever made to us. Now, similarly to our conversation on disappointment a handful of weeks ago, in order for this to really make sense, we have to know and understand what it is that God promised us so that we don't hold God to hopes and promises that he never made to us. And so if you didn't listen to that sermon, I am going to encourage you to go back and listen to that one because it helps us differentiate the things that God did promise us versus the things that we think God promised us that he never did, that he never did, excuse me. But when we know and when we understand God's promises, we know that God has always come through. After Brian had finished telling the pastor his story about saving a seat for his daughter every week, the pastor invited Brian to attend their weekly prayer group. He said, every Tuesday, a group of people from wherever, anybody in the church can come together and pray for an hour. And the pastor said that Brian started going to prayer because of what he was hoping for. But he came back to prayer because of who he learned to put his hope in. And the thing that I want to point out here is that Brian's circumstances didn't change. By the time I heard this story this week, Brian's situation still hadn't changed. To this day, Brian continues to save a spot for his daughter, and his daughter continues to not show up. But Brian has this hope in Jesus, and so his hope overflows even when his circumstances don't change. That, friends, is when you know that you are overflowing with a gift from God, when it still exists despite your circumstances. I read a quote that said, in every generation there's a remnant of Christians who will decide if they are going to stay faithful to Jesus despite what is going on around them. It was true for the people of Israel who first read about this shoot of Jesse 750 years before Jesus was ever even born, and it's been true of every generation since. Through war and famine, through genocides and plagues, through terrorism and natural disasters, through it all, people have to decide if they are going to stay faithful to Jesus despite what is going on around them. If God is God, he is God of it all. We can hope for new jobs and financial security for, and for our kids to be successful. We can hope that we get into the college that we want. We can hope for healing. We can hope for millions of things, and I hope that we do. I hope that we never, ever stop hoping for all of the things that we desire in this life, whether personal or things that we hope for the world. Hope is powerful. It's so powerful. And so hope with everything that you are. Wake up with hope and go about your day with hope and struggle with hope and cry with hope. Hope is everything. But also know that biblical hope is more than just crossing your fingers and making a wish. Biblical hope is a confident hope. It's a hope based on promises made to us. Not that life would go the way that we want it to, but, that, but it's hope in a God that knows us and loves us and is doing the work of redeeming our lives even when we don't see him doing it. Biblical hope means that we have reason to expect God to do great things. Not to optimistically hope that he will, but to expect that he will. It's not the same thing as throwing a penny into a wishing well and hoping for the best. 
It's trusting God. It's trusting God when he says that whatever work he has begun in you, he will be faithful to complete it. It's not the same thing as wishing on a star. It's knowing, as it says in Romans 5, that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It is believing that the God of hope, as Paul writes, will fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This hope we have in Jesus isn't, isn't like fortune cookies. It's not like horoscopes. It's not even like the wonderful gift of optimism. This hope that we are talking about is so much more than that. Romans 8 says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That is why scripture calls us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Not on what is temporary, but on what is eternal. There's a pastor and author who writes this. He says, what does hope do for mankind? Hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens when the bitterness bites. Hope sings when all melodies are gone. Hope believes when the evidence is limited. Hope listens for the answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. Hope reaches for answers when no one is asking. Hope presses toward victory when no one is encouraging. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. And hope brings the victory when no one is winning. In the Bible, hope is never, ever a static thing. In Scripture, hope is never a passive thing. Biblical hope is dynamic. It's active. It's directive. It is life-sustaining. It changes what we value. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we engage our own lives. It changes what we do with our time, how we interact with people, what we seek after in this world. Hope gives us so much. It gives us peace and joy and courage and boldness and confidence. It doesn't allow our circumstances to dictate our ability to persevere in this world. Biblical hope knows that no matter what battle we are facing in this exact moment, that the war has already been won. Ultimately, hope saves us because Jesus is the hope of the world. Andy Stanley once said that Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. I'm sure I've used this quote before because I really like it. Christmas is a reminder that your hope, that your faith in God is not misplaced. And I want you to hear that this morning. Regardless of your circumstances, past or present, your faith in God is not misplaced. We continue to tell this story every single year because we constantly need to be reminded that despite what is going on around us or within us, that our hope in God is not misplaced. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he was going to do, and he will again do what he has promised. 
Optimism is wonderful and wishing wells are fun. You can hope for all the things that you want, but, but when you have lost hope in this life, pennies are not going to sustain you. The only thing, the only one that is going to sustain you in the darkest places of defeat in this life is hope found in Jesus Christ. And so for each of you, as we begin this Advent season, my prayer is that in the place that you least expect it, but need it most, you will experience the powerful hope of Jesus. In the place where you least expect it, but need it most, you will experience the powerful hope of Jesus. And I pray that you would experience that hope in such abundance that it overflows, that it spills out into every part of your life and makes a mess. Hoping for things is wonderful. Hoping in Jesus will change your life. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for this incredible Advent season. It sneaks up on us every year, but we need it more and more every year. Every year, Lord, I find myself saying, gosh, I really, I really need Christmas this year. Not what we've turned Christmas into in this world, but, what, but what, you, what you have made it to be, Lord. The promise, the promise that you loved us enough to come as one of us, to come for us, to come save us. God, we live in a world that continues to encourage us to put hope in all kinds of things. Tarot cards and wishing wells and stars and all kinds of things, Lord. I just pray that this morning we would remember and know the difference between those things that we hope for and the one in whom we put our ultimate hope. For you, Lord, are the only hope that will sustain us in this life. And so, God, would you continue to fill each of us with your hope in abundance, that it would overflow, that we would be so surprised by hope this season that we would have no doubt from whom it came. And so we thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that your desire is to fill us with hope to the point of overflowing. We give you thanks for this great gift. In your holy name we pray.